0: Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist podcast that believes in doing no harm, but taking no shit. Today we have Laura and Zoe. Eww,
1: eww. We haven't had, what did we used to call it, The A Laura, Laura and Zoe, Zoe- Yeah.
0: Hour we haven't had one in so long. I know, I know. It's so funny because Ozzy and I had an episode like I don't know when, like a month ago. That was just us. And after we introduced ourselves, I like did that, and I think Ozzy was just like, "Yeah." I was like, "No, it's it's you got to have a vibe." But the the real truth is that the vibe is between me and you. It's true. (laughs) The vibe is here. You're all welcome. Yes. Um. And today, we're talking about spirituality and the left. Before we get into it, I want to give a couple of disclaimers. One, we are definitely drawing a distinction between spirituality and commercialism. There is a crossover, which like is obvious because, as we know, capitalism can and will co-opt anything and everything it possibly can. Um, And two, you do not need to believe in the things we're talking about to have respect for them. Believing is not for everyone, and that's totally okay. And I also want to clarify that today we aren't talking about structural religions. We've already done that on several episodes, which I definitely recommend checking out if you haven't already.
1: Yeah, so this episode came about because Kellen, who unfortunately was – um, could could not make it today because of COVID. I was going to say was taken from us today because of COVID, but like they're very much alive. Yes. They also have COVID.
0: Yes. Anyway,
1: um, was on a queer staffing dating app slash like social app. Uh, you've likely heard of if you're in those groups called Lex and saw a post that said the following quote, can we talk about the real, the very real issue? Of how much astrology slash tarot slash crystal slash <laughs> etc. bullshit, capital B, has penetrated the queer community. Question mark. Maybe instead of talking about Mercury being in retrograde, we should talk about the destruction of the planet, the class war, the genocide of marginalized communities. So let me uh. just give um my my initial reaction first of all this person is clearly a virgo and that's why they're so mad at astrology um <laughs> second of all just for a little context so kellen saw this post and shared it with our like co-host group chat and we of course all roasted it i believe ozzy said i need to get back on lex so i can bully people again <laughs> um But then we were like, actually, this is a conversation that would be worth having on air as an episode because these are, like, prevalent ideas amongst the left, not just this random person on Lex that we don't know.
0: Yeah. And that's why we're here today. Exactly. There is so much to unpack here. But, like, also, why are we using the term penetrate? Ew.
1: Uh, That part is what like immediately upset me when they first sent this to the group chat like i couldn't get past that part at first it's very hard
0: to get past it the first thing to address is the idea that these concepts are in opposition to each other somehow that somehow astrology and tarot are hindering people's ability to care about the planet or class war we will get more in depth with this but astrology and tarot are tools for understanding Understanding ourselves, understanding things we can't see, and understanding others in the world around us. Using a tool to understand something, even if it's unconventional or not rooted in Western ideals, which it seems like this person would prefer, does not mean someone doesn't acknowledge or understand the complexities of living in a capitalist hellscape.
1: Yeah, also the fact that this person started off with being like the real issue of astrology it's like if you're living in the same reality that we are and think that like the real issue is astrology and tarot and crystals and not i don't know like climate change and like the white supremacist colonialist capitalist patriarchy just to name like a few very real problems we're (laughs) facing Maybe you're the one lacking a materialist understanding, but I digress. That's just me. Maybe, maybe mm. this is me
0: problem. Second, seconding it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're like me and were raised in a traumatic religious institution, you may have had a visceral reaction to the idea of spirituality, I now consider myself a spiritual person, but for about 10 years after I left the church, I was so anti-anything that hinted at any spirituality because I was so traumatized by the religion I was raised on. Um, For those of you who have been following along for a while now, get out your
1: season of the bitch bingo cards because Laura talked about religious trauma. You get a bingo.
0: <laughs> Woo! We love to see it. Continues to play a huge part in my life, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, again, if you're he- if you're hesitant or whatever, that's totally normal and understandable. But I think it's important for us to recognize that spiritualism is tied to indigeneity, not just thinking about indigenous Americans here, but indigenous peoples from every society. My ancestral lineages that are linked to spirituality are rooted in Slavic and Celtic paganism. We were all indigenous to somewhere at some point, and it's really important to learn about your own roots so that you're not co-opting someone's spiritual practices that aren't really meant for you. Yeah, so I wanted to talk a little more about some ancient practices and like
1: the roots of um, at least a fair amount of witchcraft. So I spent a lot of time researching this as it pertains to like some of my lineages, my lineages, particularly in the Middle East. So a lot of belief. There was a lot of belief in magical practices um, in the ancient Middle East. In fact, a lot of the, like, white witchcraft, as Laura's describing, of, like, paganism came from literature from Mesopotamia, Egypt, and Canaan. Um, and I think that begs the question, have white people ever come up with anything on their own? The answer I came up with is likely the answer to that is mayonnaise, but I did not fact check myself before this yeah, episode. Yeah, it would be
0: surprising <laughs> even if that was true because feels a little too, like, culinary yeah like like (laughs) the culinary masterpiece is there you know yeah it's probably (laughs) not true um but yeah just to say a lot of
1: a lot of these practices come from the middle east as well as a lot of african cultures a lot of other cultures even before like paganism was around and so the other primary lineage lineage that like I relate to in terms of spiritual practices is within Judaism. And I've talked about that on the podcast before, um, but it's also tied to the same like ancient region. And just like a couple of things I wanted to mention on that. Um, the Kabbalah is like a mystical school within Judaism that uh, sets to like tie in mystical lessons out of the traditional Jewish readings. And I was raised in a synagogue where the rabbi often spoke this way about the readings we were doing. Like, we would read a story from the Torah or other, um, like, traditional Jewish readings. But the rabbi would talk about it in terms of, like, those readings as myth and what we're supposed to, like, learn from them versus, like, these are things that happened or this is, like, word to live by exactly kind of thing. Um, Another mystical aspect of Judaism that I love that I was also... Somewhat randomly telling the co-hosts recently because I had a, a jogged memory, but um, <laughs> there's the Rosh Chodesh, which means the new moon. Oh, I remember why my memory was jogged. So let me explain the concept first, then I'll tell you all. <laughs> it's queer, obviously. So because the calendar, of the Hebrew calendar that's used is a lunar calendar, the first day of each month is a new moon and it's celebrated as kind of like a minor holiday um, and these celebrations tend to be particularly linked to women and femmes. So when I was growing up at my synagogue, and I believe this was at, like, many synagogues, um, there was, like, a Jewish youth group for girls um, called Rosh Hodesh. And it had, like, witchy vibes to it. But I had recently on a dating app seen someone I was in fresh British with and I told the co-host about it. And then that's what got me being like, actually, it was like very cool for like a religious based youth group. But I digress. Um, so not really going to get more into that since we're not talking about like more organized religions. But I definitely recommend there's like an Instagram account slash website slash blog called Jew Witches spelled J-E-W the rest of the word witches. Um for folks who want to know more about that. J E W itches. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, just another symbol that I really love in my own practices is the Hamsa, which if you aren't familiar, it's like the little hand looking guy, but it has like two thumbs. Um and it often has an evil eye in the center, but not exclusively. And that comes from the ancient practices in the Middle East, but it's been utilized through Judaism as well as through Arab cultures in the Middle East, which is part of my lineage as well. so, um really since I was young, I felt very connected to that. I got like gifts of Hamsa's um like jewelry and stuff from both sides of my family, which was also often something I like kind of felt at odds with, so I really liked that. Mm. um but it's tied in with the idea of the evil eye. it's meant to protect from the, the idea of the evil eye or of evil. Um, different Middle Eastern cultures, because there's of course many ascribe like variations of meaning to it, but um, especially depending on, some of them make different gestures or if it's facing upward or downward. Um, but overall it's related to like warding off evil and bringing in positive energy. Um, so as Laura mentioned, it's important to like find out what customs are appropriate for your background And also, I think it's a fun way to, like, learn cool things about what your ancestors were probably up to.
0: Totally. Absolutely. And this is why I had such a fucking visceral reaction to this post. Because the idea that this person brought up of, like, the genocide of marginalized communities in the same sentence as bashing on spirituality without any awareness that there's some major colonial and white supremacist energy to that bashing gave me the ick absolutely very gross so we wanted to take a minute to talk about quote-unquote western versus other types of medicine and healing obviously here we're not specifically talking about the west because there are many cultures within the western hemisphere that practice what we consider to be alternative healing modalities Um, I think people are probably most familiar with traditional Chinese medicine, or TCM, and potentially some of the Hindu teaching around chakras. This type of healing work encompasses things like acupuncture and Reiki. Even in Western medicine, there's still an understanding and acknowledgement of the energetic fields that those alternative practices tap into. As human beings, we radiate a very low level of electricity that's otherwise known as an electromagnetic field. This creates our aura. Ancient systems of medicine, such as the Hindu scriptures like the Vedas, believe that this energy is expressed in seven layers or, sh- or chakras. Each layer is said to correlate to a different element of your physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional health. Your aura is thought to be a luminous body that surrounds your physical one. Each layer, and any problems in them, surrounds your body in a net of energy. In places like the United States, our medical system is very reactive. Part of this, as we've discussed at length in other episodes, is because it's driven by capitalism. The doctors we see are basically trying to put out fires— When something presents a problem, we call up our doctor, they try to figure out what's going on, and often prescribe something to quell the symptoms that are presenting themselves. That's not to say Western medicine isn't important or doesn't have an important and imperative place in our society. It's more to say that there are other ways of keeping us healthy that don't focus on symptoms and try to understand the root cause of what could be hindering our health. I think it's important to bring up these cultural differences to understanding healing and the body because discrediting ancient healing practices that have been around for thousands of years is problematic. That discreditation is built off of two pillars of white supremacy and colonialism. One, that the West knows best, and two, that progress is inherently something that comes with time. Yeah,
1: so I wanted to first point to our episode on psychedelic feminism where we talked a lot about this and specifically on the idea of like overall wellness, which is more of an indigenous ideal versus um, Western medicine and this idea of like treatment, just treating symptoms or treating specific parts of a person without viewing people as like mind, body and soul like holes Um also just wanted to give, like, a little plug for acupuncture. Um, So I've mentioned this on the podcast before, maybe not acupuncture specifically, but um, my experience having serotonin toxicity when I was taking SSRIs, I think I was 19 or 20, um, went very poorly, um, was having, like, really bad symptoms. And once my primary doctor, the only thing they said I could do was, like, basically take – Ativan every day, and like I was on bed rest, and it feels like you're having a constant panic attack. And I was doing that for like two months. So scary. Yeah, and then someone recommended that I tried acupuncture, and this was like the only way I found any relief. Um, and like she asked about all of my symptoms, was like super thorough. Um, and I mean, it took time. Like I was going weekly for a long time before I saw like major results but overall was so helpful ever since then i've gone more or less regularly there have been breaks based on um having the money to go or like during COVID, it wasn't safe to go and things like that um but i literally went yesterday mm. and i mean i think i mean i swear by it i think it's wonderful i Me think too. you should i'm also super wary of like white people who are acupuncturists like i make sure to go to people who that is like part of their culture understanding, or they were like trained in a traditional way. Um uh, it's still, of course, not my culture and I'm going. But yeah, I have found a lot of help from it. I think there's also something to be said, um, because we do live, if you're in the US listening to this, in a place where it's mostly unavoidable to go to like western doctors have primary care doctors and stuff like this um but being open to like adding other options on as well like my primary doctor was literally like there's nothing I can do for you but give you benzos every single day Mm. um and the acupuncturist was like oh my god no there's like all these things I can do for you and was like giving me herbs and giving me treatments and so it just like opens up a lot more options too to to be open to various kinds of of wellness and treatments
0: yeah absolutely um one of the most incredible experiences i've had well i've had several amazing experiences with acupuncture but allergies are not something that western medicine knows what to do about they don't know because it's inflammation all over um, it attacks all areas of your body. It's related to autoimmune disorders, of which I have, too. And when I, the last, most recent time I went to an acupuncturist, we focused a lot on allergy relief. And I have done that before. And it, it is truly one of the only things that makes it so I don't have to take, like, 14 allergy pills throughout the day um, because I am allergic to everything. It also was one of the only things that really helped me after I've had concussions, too. So we love to see it. <laughs> yeah, I definitely second that for allergies and just
1: kind of for everything. No matter what I tell my acupuncture, she's like, I got you. <laughs> exactly. Um,
0: There's a point yeah. for that.
1: <laughs> Literally, I recently had a UTI and she was like, acupuncture is one of the like most effective treatments for that. And I was like, oh. Hell yeah.
0: Tell me about it. That's amazing. She did. Um, Yeah, highly recommend. 10 out of 10. Amazing. So let's break down the three main concepts that this person was so agitated about because they truly are all different things, even if spiritual people may incorporate them all. Uh, Again, these were astrology, tarot, and crystals. And before we do that, I just want to emphasize that. As we are living during climate collapse, as we feel deeply alienated from our labor and our land and our communities, connecting to a higher self or connecting to something larger than yourself is often a tool that helps people survive. Also, there are many ways or levels that people use these tools, and there's a lot of people who spread misinformation about these tools. I think a good example of this is like, I mean, fear mongering is like uh, maybe too extreme of a term, but you get the vibe that's associated with Mercury in retrograde. Also, that's not even the worst retrograde. It's just right. the most common. So Exactly.
1: <laughs> Fear monger about something else. Um, but also, to this person who wrote the Lex ad, well, I have two things to say. One, I love that it's sad she's in a word of voting an episode to just, like, <laughs> debunking this one fucking person who we don't know. But with philosophy. But it's about more than
0: that. Yeah. It's all sad energy.
1: But also to that person, if you're listening, which you probably hate us, so you don't. But if you're like so bothered by these things, perhaps Lex.app is just like not the place for you to to be.
0: Yeah. First of all, none of these things are new, particularly for queer women and femmes. In fact, the reason that Lex was created was to honor the lineage and history of classified ads in various magazines. And many of these classified ads wrote about astrology and who they were looking for and who they were. Yeah, totally. Also, before we get into these things, I just want to talk a little bit about like the
1: notion of things being scientifically proven at all. What does it mean? Is it real? No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Was it something Uh, made up by white men? Yes.
1: Exactly. And so this is going to be relatively um, brief because you did not sign up to come to my um, TED Talk, but well, you did, but it's not about this. Um, (laughs) But yeah, just like a couple... points yeah so just thinking about feminist methodologies for research um which is something that i find very interesting and maybe not that many other people do but
0: (laughs) i think we here at season of the bitch do probably (laughs) i would fucking hope so or else why are you here you know but
1: yeah so like a lot of what we consider like scientifically proven or like like evidence-based is based on these like positivist studies. If you don't know what that means, that's basically when you do a study where there's like a control group, a uh, not control group, there is a correlation, and then they're like, yes, this equals this, or like this causes this, or this is a correlation. This thing works. It's very based on quantitative data. It's often very based on white men as subjects and as researchers. And there's no such thing as, like, non-biased data. The mm-hmm. idea that this data is the least biased is because of the, like... Assumption that white men... Yeah. The, like, cultural acceptance that white men are, like, the least biased people because they're the norm. Right. Um. Everyone, when they're doing research, is looking to... There's no way to not be biased. You're looking to fill your hypothesis or meet your hypothesis. Um, And so you're going to look for data that's going to do that. No matter how unbiased you try to be, it's just not really possible. There's going to be human error. And that's how it works. However, the human error that as a culture, as a society, as the Western scientific world, we are most comfortable accepting is that white men are probably the best at it. Because why wouldn't they be? Versus if we look at feminist methodologies, a lot of feminist research tends to be more qualitative. Um, more along the lines of thinking about, like, the personal as political, thinking about people's personal stories, not necessarily being focused on, like, people as numbers. Now that there isn't feminist research that is quantitative, of course there is, also because it's more widely accepted as, like, real research. Mm -hmm. Um, but it tends to be more accepted as, like, a feminist thing to, you know, personalize the experience and actually, like, get into that versus being like, okay, we just want like cold hard numbers. And then the second thing I want to talk about is this idea that researchers sometimes talk about, where it comes to like efficacy versus effectiveness. Efficacy means that there have been these positivist studies that show that something is technically effective or efficacious, which is a word that I hate. Um, But it's like, we've done these studies, we know that this thing is Um, science backed. And a lot of times people assume that things that are not evidence based or science backed, therefore, are not valid or like have been proven false. Whereas in reality, a lot of those things are still effective, but they haven't been given the chance to be researched because of all the things we know because of funding because of things that are not respected. Like if someone suggested doing research and a lot of the research I know about relates to um, psychotherapy, since that's what I've been looking at in grad school a lot. This one was like, I want to do this research on like astrology as a form of psychotherapy. That's probably not getting funded. You know why? Because who's in control of funding? White men. Right. Um, So a lot of these things can still be effective. There's more and more research actually in regards to acupuncture because it became harder and harder for people to discredit it because there were so many positive accounts of it. Totally. Um, that there has been more and more research. But also, like, we don't need there to be Western-backed science to prove these things. The fact that these are right. ancient practices, that people have respected these for centuries, um, and that there is... There is evidence base, right, in the yeah. fact that people have been doing these things for so long. Honestly, it's it's homophobic, it's patriarchal, it's white supremacist to be like, Selenium? but where's the scientific exactly. facts to back it up? So while we will be talking about some, like, backing and basis to these things, I also want to start off by
0: being like, science is fake anyway. It yeah. doesn't really fucking matter. Exactly. We're just doing that for the haters and the haters only.
1: (laughs) If you still care about science after what I so eloquently just put, that's kind of a you
0: problem. Exactly. But we're still going to try to convince you, so. Exactly. So we're going to kick it off with astrology. Of course, we have done many, many episodes specifically on astrology. Um, So go check those out. Um, And I highly recommend returning to the episodes that feature our friend of the pod, Alice Sparkly Cat.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to like especially shout out the episode we did about their book, I think last year or within the past two years on um, decolonizing astrology because it particularly pertains to this episode and I think would be helpful. Yes. Um, Another example that we wanted to discuss going back to some science for you is let's talk about the moon and the moon's role with the earth yeah so the moon's gravitational pull maybe you've heard of it is what causes the ocean maybe you've heard of it to swell and that therefore creates the tides of the ocean perhaps you have heard of them
0: (laughs) exactly (laughs) getting heated already no i mean as you should That's why I was like, we got to talk about this.
1: Yeah. This is why like the high tide and the low tide correspond with with day and night, with times of day. Maybe you have heard of them and where the moon is in the sky. For a little more context, the earth is 71% water. Our bodies, which maybe you've heard of, are about 60% water. So like it shouldn't really be that much of a stretch to see the connection that that we're making here that if the moon can control the tides of the ocean why could it not control the water in our bodies and as mentioned science is fake but
0: regardless i think this proves astrology is real exactly i mean also why do you fucking think um people with ovaries cycles are on a 28 day cycle and not on whatever Gregorian calendar or whatever the fuck, that's because that is when, that's moon cycle. <laughs> yeah, well, that's
1: also why, like, what I was talking about, the, like, Rosh Hodesh celebration is geared towards, like, women and feminine people because the moon is so closely associated
0: with women for, like, that reason. Exactly. Exactly. But guess what? Everyone has water in their bodies, so it's affecting you whether you have to bleed or not. <laughs> um so i just want to because we mentioned it talk about mercury in retrograde as zoe said it is not the most challenging retrograde to face i Um, am (laughs) hell yeah (laughs) a zoe Uh, retrograde happy sad season (laughs) um but so The reason why Mercury in retrograde is the one we hear about most often is because Mercury travels across our sky most regularly. That's because Mercury is closest to the sun, so its pattern, its circle, its little revolution around the sun has less to travel than the planets that are further outside of it. So when Mercury is in retrograde, um, Mercury is a planet that rules communication um our thoughts our inner thoughts our um, mental health and it's often associated with like intelligence and when mercury is in retrograde that's when you might see a lot of funky technical issues um things might take longer to kick up you might Think about things that you said in the past. There's a reflection of something that happened previously. So, like, you might see a bunch of memes that are like, don't reach out to your ex during Mercury and retrograde because you might just be more likely to do that because it's a higher reflective period during that time. Also, I do it all the time. It's fine. (laughs) Exactly. Live your truth. Do whatever you want. (laughs) From two fire signs. Take it with a grain of salt. I'm always like, I know that's why I'm doing it, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. Totally. And I guess like the main thing that I want to say is none of these things are things to fear. They're things that help us understand why things may be a little challenging or a little extra frictiony. Like right now, Mars is in retrograde, which I think is much more challenging than Mercury being in retrograde because it makes you want to punch everyone in the face over the smallest things and that's not okay uh they might actually not deserve it during this time whereas maybe like on in other times if you're feeling that way they probably are more likely to deserve it
1: so but also especially for laura because a lot of their chart is ruled by mars and maybe that gets into
0: the next thing oh yeah exactly which is you have a whole ass chart Exactly. You have a whole ass chart. I can't tell you how many times I'll like be talking to people. It's funny when I like talk to people who don't know me very well. And they'll be like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm this sign, but I don't know because I'm always like, what's your sign? Like, tell me I need to know if I don't know them. And they're like, yeah, but like, who knows if astrology is real or whatever. And I'm like, okay, first of all, don't say that to me. Secondly, you know, it is. We yes, just proved it. Exactly. Two scientists <laughs> in the flesh. <laughs> astrologers scientists same thing um but there is so much more that makes up your personal birth chart than your sun sign the thing you're most likely to know is your sun sign that's like the month you were born in um but everyone has a whole bunch of other signs and they all contribute to who you are as a person and it contributes to different elements of your life like your romance your, uh, way of solving conflict, your way of experiencing the most joy, the way that you activate, like, feelings around work and how you use that to your best advantage. Um, and so everyone has their own personal chart and that has, like, all the planets plus, like, a few other special things in there, which we won't get into, But everyone also is experiencing what we call astro weather. So just like when you were born, the sky, like, your birth chart is basically like a snapshot of the sky the moment you were birthed. As we go through time, which time is construct, which I almost brought into this episode, but honestly, it would have taken way too long to try to explain. And it's very hard to wrap your brain around even if you understand it slightly
1: anyway someone in my gender studies program just to go back to feminist methodology is writing i believe it's their thesis on why time is like misogynist and oppressive
0: amazing oh my god i want to read it i need to read it i've been like obsessed with that concept lately Wow. uh well the way we perceive change is through the concept of time. And as time pra- passes forward, the sky changes um, and that changes that like has an impact on us. So it may affect us all slightly differently, but it, there are also overarching themes that happen that everyone is experiencing all at the same time. So it just is kind of nice to know and understand so you might be able to know and understand why everyone's feeling off on a certain day or like why whatever you know like there's often an astrological reason for that
1: yes second (laughs) (laughs) hell yeah there always is yeah and I love – I have one friend in particular who will just, like, text me being like, Zoe, what's going on in this guy? Oh because today's not right. Exactly. And I'm like, hang on. Like, I'll either know or I'll be like, hold up, let me find out. Yes,
0: exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, it's important. It's important to keep, keep your astro friends close. It is. It really is. So we're going to talk about tarot next, switching gears a little bit. And obviously, we literally didn't even scratch the surface with astrology because – there's so much there, but again, visit our other episodes. So, tarot is generally considered what's known as a divination tool. So, which of your spiritual, that means you're tapping into insight given to you by spirit guides. Of course, there are many people who use tarot who don't believe in it that way, which again is fine. The most common type of tarot deck is based off of a deck called a rider weight deck, and again. This is probably not the first tarot deck because probably there were other things that had names, but this was like when that term kind of came through. Um, These decks have 78 cards, which include 22 major Arcana cards. Like, you know, if you've ever seen the Justice card or the Empress, the Fool, things like that, that's all. If you've never seen a tarot card, I mean,
1: I shouldn't be like,
0: scolding you but how did you get here (laughs) just take a look they're often so beautiful (laughs) and made by incredible artists which we're going to get into and then there's 56 minor arcana cards which consists of four sets of 14 cards creating four suits often depicted as cups wands swords and pentacles so there are many versions of this specific type of deck created by different artists, each with their own personality. And I know that we have different decks that we really connect with, which I think is really cool.
1: Yeah, I also before before I share my favorite decks just want to mention with the decks. So like the major arcana cards are all linked to either a planet or an astrology sign. And then the four suits Laura mentioned are all link to like an element within astrology so tarot and astrology are like intrinsically very linked yeah um just to put that out there but I know we want to talk about some of our favorite decks yeah so well I have a few favorite decks um because I have several the tarot deck that was the one that like I because I don't believe in buying yourself a tarot deck it's like should be gifted to you and all of my decks have like very different personalities based off who gifted them to me My favorite, which is the only – well, this is, like, the only deck that I, like, chose and someone bought for me based off me saying I want this deck is the Bad Girl Tarot deck. Um, None of the – this is a theme, I guess, in my – in two of the three favorite decks. I'm going to say. None of the – they're all, like, feminine um, depictions, and there's no cards, like, named – uh masculine thing. yes yes um so i love that it's I, powerful mine is the same actually that i'm gonna talk about <laughs> love that and then i have a deck i have the mystical monday deck which i love because it was given to me from my best friend from high school friend of the pod janet and icon. She, yes and she what well, we both we both give each other tough love that's what like friends from high school long-term friendships are for and this deck is a tough love deck. And I go to it when I'm like, I need the, I need it. I need to be like whipped into shape. Like there was a time when I was asking this deck repeatedly if I should break up with a certain person. And after the first like reading, my deck was like, you know what you have to do. Now you have to do it. And I was like, I hear you. I hear you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then the third deck I want to mention, which is pretty new. um, A friend just gave it to me. It's called the Witch's Insurrection. And um, it's an anarchist deck that was created by a sex worker and it aims to take like the hierarchies and um, gender out of tarot. And because of that, a lot of the major arcana and suit cards have been like altered to fit that. Um, So I'm going to read like the the introduction to the deck because I think it's very cool. Yes, I'm still kind of like learning how to use this deck since it is different than what I'm used to. But yeah, the introduction. Oh, and the artist is Kit Snicket says, this deck is not exactly like other decks. Although it borrows elements from the classic Smith-Waite deck, it's primarily a singular narrative based on my own experiences and values. In making this explicitly anarchist deck, I did my best to avoid the hierarchical and unnecessarily gendered structure of so many traditional tarots, which means that there are some significant differences between this and other decks. This can be seen most obviously in the court cards, alternate names. Kings have been replaced with harlots, queens with enchantresses, knights with partisans, and pages with conspirators, as well as in the renaming of the empress as the whore and the emperor as the mistress. A few other cards have also been renamed so as to better fit what I feel are their essential qualities, and in the case of the chariot slash victory, to remove the imperialist connotations of the original name. Um, So it's a beautiful deck. It's super cool. It was like um, or it is like a limited series kind of deck. It's like very artistic. It was made pretty um, low quantity, and yeah, I think that that goes well into kind of the next kinds of deck Laura wants to talk about, which like stray from the more traditional tarot decks.
0: Yes, exactly. That deck sounds so cool, though. I looked it up and was looking at some pictures. Oh yeah, I'll have to
1: show it to you. Um, another friend of the pod gave it to me well a friend of mine who in my mind is a friend of in-
0: the pod. inherently our
1: friends are friends of the pod that's <laughs> just how it is
0: yes um yeah which we love we love it we're going to talk about another one who gave me this deck um but yeah there are other types of deck that just like forego that structure of whatever a major arcana and minor arcana could be um and they may be called oracle decks lennerman decks or something else like sometimes they just have random names um But, yes, my current favorite deck is called the Cosmos Oracle Deck, which Friend of the Pod and Dear Human Alicia got me for my birthday this year. Um, And this deck, like, is gorgeous. Absolutely stunning. And um, there's no... It's very, very different than... um, a typical tarot deck and you can use it in the same way or you can use it differently there are like it's kind of up to your own personal journey um but i wanted to read a quick intro and paragraph from the artist and author carmen Bello, and this is about the purpose of the cosmos oracle deck each day like the ocean tides <laughs> the ocean tides Fact-checked by Carmen Have Bella. you heard of them? <laughs> uh, each day, like the ocean tides, our emotional, mental, and physical bodies shift. Our inner state is influenced by our astral body, the food we eat, our hormonal cycle, the energy of our environment, the weather, and many other factors that are beyond our control. However, what we can control is how we react and adapt to the ups and downs of our journey finding our center with more ease each time. This deck was created to help you find the order beneath the chaos, the root cause, the recurring cycle, because only if we know the source of imbalance, we can use the proper medicine. My wish for this deck is that it will connect you with your intuitive knowledge and inspire you to be a bit more self-aware every day. And I love that. So... We've already kind of been talking about this, but we're going to get into like more about why people use tarot and how it's used. So the general way that tarot is used is to find out information. If you're unsure of what path to take or want clarity on a situation, that's a time when many people turn to tarot. Again, you may not consider yourself spiritual to use tarot, and that doesn't mean it's not helpful or useful for you. There are people who do really well with tarot, and what I mean with this is when they do readings for themselves or for others, those readings resonate very well. They energetically feel correct, or people feel much more clarity and understanding after that reading. Oftentimes, those tarot readers readers are more connected to their higher self or source or the universe, like whatever you're calling that. Wanting to have answers and clarity on things that are happening around you in the material plane does not suggest that you aren't aware of what's going on around you or that you don't care. It kind of implies the opposite. Um, It also doesn't mean we can blind ourselves to the realities around us. But there's a lot of social and cultural conditioning that we all receive that may hinder or block our ability to connect with our own intuition. And this is a tool that can help us reconnect with ourselves. And I did want to mention that I recently saw a TikTok that said something really interesting. The person in the TikTok was spiritual and was talking about tarot. And she was talking about how many people are afraid to use Ouija boards because they're nervous about interacting with spirits in that way but she was suggesting that tarot is just as powerful of a divination tool and should be used with the same sense of caution. And this isn't to scare anyone at all, it's just to understand that these things have power. She suggested that before you start a tarot session, light a candle and think to yourself that when the candle is lit, you're open to having spirits around you, guiding you for your highest good. But when you blow the candle out, they must leave. Obviously, you do you and keep on living your truth. But I feel like that's a pretty simple way to be a little bit more intentional when it comes to tarot and also just makes the practice into more of a ritual, which can feel good in and of itself.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Um, Yeah, I think I tend to like light candles and like make myself a little set up to do
1: tarot. And I think like whether or not you believe in the divination aspect, it's like, well, what's the harm in making it an intention and lighting a candle like? Exactly. Exactly it still feels nice
0: yeah totally but it is real (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly so yeah we're gonna switch into talking about crystals um first of all who doesn't love some beautiful rocks am i right um (laughs) secondly crystals. you're right thank you (laughs) Secondly, crystals are related to what I mentioned before in the Hindu understanding of energetic layers in the body. Again, scientists of all cultures have at least acknowledged that there's an electromagnetic field around us and there's electric charges running through us. Crystals allow positive, fruitful energy to flow into the body and do away with negative, toxic energy. The idea is that the negative energy that we pick up from other people, from media, news, etc., can be transmuted into positive energy. Think of crystals as a magnet pulling the negative off of your body. Just because you can't physically see the magnetic pull of a magnet to metal doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Just because you can't physically feel the magnetic pull of our poles doesn't mean compasses are a fake way to navigate. Obviously, the electromagnetic pull from crystals is different than that of magnets, but it's really the same concept.
1: Yeah, I thought a good example to kind of talk about this is pink Himalayan salt lamps, um, which have become pretty popular in the US over the past few years. Yeah, Laura's showing theirs (laughs) on Zoom. I have one as well. Um, And... You, I'm assuming many of our listeners have, have seen them, they're pretty popular now. And so these lamps are said to boost mood, improve sleep, ease allergies, help people with asthma to breathe better and clean the air amongst other benefits. And for a little background, the salt lamp, the salt in these lamps comes from the Himalayas, as the name suggests, which is a mountain range that stretches about 1500 miles across Pakistan, India, Bhutan, and Nepal. True Himalayan salt lamps come from the Kura salt mine in Pakistan. The salt this mine produces has a reddish pink or off-white color. There's also a lot of fake ones that are sold online and the real versions are fragile and give off a dim light. Whereas the phony products are tough to break and glow very brightly. So if you have one and you're like, it doesn't work. None of those things happen. Like maybe you're the problem. And by you, I actually mean capitalism and colonialism. Right. But, (laughs) but as far as how they work, um, they're believed to work in two ways. The first is that they attract allergens, toxins, and pollutants to their surface um, with that pull that Laura's talking about. And then the second is that they release negative ions. And a lot of people believe that negative ions in the air have health benefits. And this shows the idea of the charge or magnetic field that Laura was describing in that they're pulling things in and they're also releasing ions. And that's what's doing this like purification and other, other benefits. Shout out to my pink salt lamp. I love you. Hell yeah. I also just wanted to share, um, this is a bit of an aside. One time I was at a natural history museum that had an incredible rock collection and crystals. For those who know, I am like obsessed with geodes. Specifically, I have so many geodes in my apartment and there was this giant, giant geode. And I just stared into its core and started sobbing in the middle of this museum. Um, and so I don't know, you tell me if the pull is real because I was sucked into that geode, let Hell
0: me tell you. Oh yeah. That sounds so powerful. I want to go see it.
1: It really was. And then someone who I was at the museum with came over and was like like asked me like what
0: was happening, and I was like, the earth just made that. It's really incredible. <laughs> it it really is, is I mean, you know, you can even watch uh the lesbian film Ammonite to just get in the vibe of, like, how powerful (laughs) rocks can be. (laughs) Uh, But different crystals have different healing properties and can be used to target specific issues you may be having. Also, even if you think about crystals as only having a placebo effect, which is not how I think about them, but I'm sure it's how many people do think about them, the placebo effect is known to aid in medical treatment. Our mind is not disconnected from our body. As we discussed on the last episode, the body keeps a score of our emotional, mental, and physical health.
1: Yeah, I also just think it's worth noting kind of back to the like science positivist aspect here that people don't really bring up the argument of like what if it's only placebo when it comes to more western forms of treatment. Even though plenty of, let's just say, uh, psychopharmacological studies show benefits from control placebo groups. And as Laura is saying, like, so what if it is? But that's just to name like one example. There's plenty of studies in which the placebo group or control group also sees benefits, but it isn't brought up to like discount the entire modality or the entire medication in the same way that it's used against these things to be like, well, it's probably fake, but it's a placebo.
0: Yeah, just once again, shout out to the white men who write all the books,
1: <laughs> literally anti shout out enemies exactly. Of the pod. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> uh, so I thought we could talk about um, what our personal favorite crystals are.
1: Yeah, well, I I have several, but I think there's one that's like particularly important to me that um, I had a real personal journey with that I want to share. So my favorite is amethyst. I've always felt really connected to amethyst. It's always been like my favorite stone. I've like collected a lot of them. And I found out mm, a couple years ago, a few years ago, that amethyst is like the Sagittarius stone. And my mind was blown because I was like, what the hell? How did I somehow always know that? That's when I was like, this is real. I'm a witch. It's all real because I fucking knew. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but also just for some context, amethyst is known as the all purpose stone. Amethyst is a protective stone that helps to relieve stress and anxiety in your life and the symptoms that accompany it, namely like headaches, fatigue, and anxiety. Um, shout out to amethyst. Also, honorary mention, Black Onyx and Ruby are my are my goth faves for several reasons, but we have more we want to get into, so look them up on your own.
0: Yes. <laughs> um, also, Amethyst is, like, the crystal most associated with helping to open your third eye, um, which is the chakra associated with, like, intuition and insight. So I think it's related to, you know, reducing stress and anxiety too because you're more clear-headed when you're able to have that stuff reduced damn i also have very strong intuition so i'm like it must be all the amethyst hell yeah (laughs) and you know you have these powers as we've discussed true okay what are yours um so recently i've i mean i like zoe have I'm obsessed with all of them and there's too many to name. And once you start, you really can't stop. And then there's so many and they're also so great. So true. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, my faves lately have been clear quartz and selenite, which are different, but do a similar thing. Um, they both are very cleansing. Um, I've been into a lot of cleansing in my life lately. And, clear quartz and selenite have been so helpful in just like removing any negative things and just like clearing it out, clearing it out, wiping the slate clean. Um, And then shout out to my Venus and Pisces because I also love rose quartz. And that's basically, uh, it's a crystal that is also really common, similar to amethyst. I feel like amethyst and rose quartz are probably like the two main ones that are like you would probably see them. Um, And Rose Quartz is really about um, the heart chakra and like opening up uh, yourself to softness and romance and love, which obviously I'm here for. (laughs) I have a giant um, Rose Quartz, which I was just showing Laura. Yeah, it's beautiful. (laughs) beautiful. It's on my coffee table. Obsessed. Um, so this person did not mention this, but probably only because they didn't think of it. But, um, (laughs) before we closed out, I really wanted to talk about manifestation because obviously this is a buzzword used a lot. And you may also understand it as the laws of attraction. This is a concept that major philosophers around the world unanimously agree is a real thing. Keep in mind, it doesn't happen overnight, and although manifesting is about turning your desires into reality, it does require you to take proactive steps toward whatever it is that you desire. I think this is a process and an element of spirituality that is not only very powerful, but also absolutely taps into the radical imagining of a better world that we discussed on our last episode. From the time we are very young, many of us are told not to follow our dreams and passions. We're told to quote-unquote be realistic, and if you had an experience that was similar to mine, this essentially means that you squash the part of yourself that expresses your most true and authentic self. If we only imagine ourselves working within what we have been told is possible, nothing will change. And I truly believe that working with the laws of attraction will help us collectively create a better world. I am new to this concept and I'm still learning, but the main thing I will say is that it's important to know what you truly desire. And for many of us, this alone is a challenge. I have found that meditation and psychedelic usage has helped me understand what my true desires are without the noises or blockages from our society or my family. And once you know what you desire, you have to ask the universe for what you want. If you pray or meditate, it can be through prayer and meditation. You can also write out your desires as a letter to the universe. And also, some people use a method called the 369 method, where you write what your desires are three times in the morning, six times in the afternoon, and nine times before bed. But there aren't specific rules on how to ask for what you want, and I think it's important to go with what feels most natural to you.
1: Yeah, I also wanted to mention with that that I think a lot of people think about manifestation as necessarily being like tangible or a material goal, um, which it definitely can be but does not have to be um so for example a manifestation slash like mantra um that that i'm focused on that i like to repeat is like i will not let anyone take my energy away without my consent i will not let anyone take my power away without my consent or variations of this such as like i'm reclaiming my power and energy that has been taken without has been taken without my consent Mm -hmm. and um as laura said aside from like speaking these words it comes with taking proactive steps. So that's like working on my own boundary setting, which is the, the less fun part than just wishing it would manifest on its own. But um, also thinking about like, what does it mean to allow people to like drain me of these things? And what does mm-hmm. it mean to consent or not in, in those moments? Um, anyway, I hope that it works soon. I hope that maybe that's helpful for other people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, that's a really, really good mantra and um, affirmation to say. And like, It's really, really critical. And yeah, so after you ask for your desires and ask for them, you also have to actively start working toward them in whatever way feels natural and accessible to you. As always, practice gratitude when things start to turn in your favor. And try as hard as possible to let go of doubts and negative attitudes as it relates to your dreams. And a tool I have found that really helped me um, when, you know, you're going through any type of manifesting or you're, you know, doing this and that like feeling of doubt starts sinking in. I really recommend listening to music, um, and sounds that are scientifically proven, which again, who cares, uh, to raise your vibration, um, to literally make it so that you have a higher vibration. These are called sofeggio frequencies. And if you literally search meditation on Spotify, playlists of each of those solfeggio frequencies are some of the first things that pop up. Also, Spotify now has, this is just for my real weirdos out there, now has a part of it that you can set like a timer for it to automatically turn off, which I really appreciate because I'd rather it go to silence rather than have my alarm go off in my head if I was like meditating. Um, again, you do you, but there's a ton of research that shows how powerful this is. And I think it's a great tool for healing ourselves and aligning ourselves with our highest purpose and healing our communities. Yeah. I think, um, closing us out and speaking of manifestation,
1: we wanted to share some of our Spotify wrapped with you all. Yes. And just to be clear, we, all of us here, all of you listening manifested this together um it's cheesy but like our listeners literally are what the rapt is about so thank you all yes seriously and if you're on the season of the bitch discord you know that the vibes channel Mm -hmm. for the good vibes does not miss the manifestation at season of the bitch is impeccable yeah um if you're not in our discord you can go to patreon.com slash season of the bitch but i digress we'll get to that momentarily (laughs) first on to spotify first of all we need to have a word with you all because why did we get rated 4.9 stars out of five? Who
0: who, who out there hates us? Who amongst us? you? <laughs> who amongst you actually hates us? They're probably not listening anymore. They they left after their bad review. That's a good
1: point. Well, if you are listening, if you could like give us enough five stars that that would round up, that would be lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Um, let's talk about some other things. Our followers on Spotify went up by 40% this year like who are you I don't know but we love you We
0: love you um we've been listened to in 55 countries that's like so cool that is so cool every time I see that come up I'm always like wait what I know I'm like where are you thank you amazing (laughs) that's why our reading (laughs) that's why our reading group is so hard to coordinate because there's so many people in so many different time zones (laughs) such a good point Brag for us,
1: we created 2,193 minutes of new content, which makes us better than 92% of other content creators in the news category, so go us.
0: (laughs) Incredible, We love that. Um, Yeah. Just keeping it funky fresh for (laughs) y'all. Keeping it
1: funky fresh. Our most listened to episode was Marxist Feminism and Bodily Autonomy, episode 222, wild Angel numbers exactly um and if you haven't listened to that episode yet apparently everyone on spotify thinks you should you heard it here first it was also our podcast when the top five percent that was most shared globally so y'all Incredible. are like y'all are popping it off and we and appreciate thank it thank you we want I know. that so much i know that truly makes me feel good exactly for all of us involved here yeah um We are the top podcast for 132 of you listening on Spotify. (laughs) Amazing. And we're in the top five for 595 of you. And we're in the top 10 for 973 of you. Thank you. But if you could just step that up next year, thank you.
0: Yes. And we know you listen on other things, too. So, like, no shade if you're listening on a different app that doesn't track the metadata because it's probably actually going to come back to haunt us all eventually. But that's fine
1: um i also wanted to share our our listeners personality if you've done your spotify route for the year you've seen this our listeners and me got the same one which is why i want to talk about it so it's the enthusiast it says your listeners are super fans when their favorite podcast releases a new episode they're among the first to know going above and beyond to show their support um thank you all thank this is what you. i got about my music that i'm like there for my fave artist new stuff and i love this we're all ride or dies here at season of the bitch
0: yes i forget what mine was i think it was like adaptable or something i don't remember it had like a term like that one was but obviously i don't recall because it wasn't as fun as the enthusiast <laughs> whatever wow not a ride or die i mean whom's Spotify say. says i was Spotify. i was i uh within the top point five percent of Beyonce listeners and Zoe was within the top percentage of Taylor Swift listeners and those are two of the biggest artists on Spotify and so we did it we are ride or die whether my Spotify <laughs> called me that or not for sure wait to be clear you were in the top point five percent oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's fine that uh, that album got me through a tough time this year we love to see yeah. it yeah yeah, so those are just some
1: exciting stats we wanted to share with you all. Yeah, um, We love you. Please keep it going. Some ways you could keep it going are going to patreon.com slash she's in a bitch. And, you know, giving us just, it's giving season. Just, yes. just give us a little bit. Um, then you can join our Discord. It's an amazing community, wonderful people. We love you all. Yeah, um, I'm really loving today. I don't know what's happening to me at the end of this episode, but it's the rose. It's the rose quartz I picked up. <laughs> I can't stop telling you all I love you. This is strange. I um, love
0: that though. This is Laura's job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to take a break though.
1: People people
0: are they know from me. <laughs> you
1: can um Talk to us on social media. You can follow us on social media. Actually, you might not be able to talk to us. Um, At Season of the Bee. We're responsive. Yeah. You can email us, seasonofthebee at gmail.com. That's where we might not be. I run the email. I'm going to (laughs) be honest about it. I'm busy. Yeah. I'll try, but I'll try. It happens eventually. Right. And you can rate us. You can rate where you subscribe on iTunes. You can rate us wherever else you listen. If you're on Spotify, we want to see five stars only. And I'm not messing around. (laughs) We don't want to see any of this 4.9 bull crap next year. <laughs> exactly. We and love you so much. I think that's
0: everything, right? Yeah.
1: The chaos. Happy Sag season. Yay.
0: Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>